The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Sarah John. She is a deputy director at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, where she leads CSPI's federal policy and private sector efforts to create a healthier, more equitable food retail environment. CSPI is one of the nation's leading public health advocacy organizations with a 50-year history of fighting for science in the public interest. For example, CSPI has led efforts to pass many state and local policies to improve school foods, put calories on chain restaurant menus, and remove sugary drinks from children's menus. Dr. John prior to joining CSPI, served as the Evaluation Director for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program's incentive programs across New England. She also worked at the Partnership for a Healthier America. Dr. John holds a PhD in Food Policy and Applied Nutrition from Tufts Friedman School and an MS in Education from Johns Hopkins University. She also earned a B.S. in biology and a B.A. in public policy from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And she is the lead author of the report that we're going to be talking about today titled Stretching the Dollar, Community-Informed Opportunities to Improve Healthy Food Access Through Dollar Stores. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, before we dive into this important report, I am curious to know how and why you first became interested in food policy. It really all started when I was a public school teacher in Baltimore City right out of undergrad. And as a teacher, saw first and foremost that before my students could learn, they really needed to have the access to food, ideally healthy food, to be able to nourish their minds and their bodies. And so it was really with that, started doing a school garden project, working on improving a school lunch and breakfast program, doing an after-school cooking club, but realizing that the impact I could have at one school was limited. And so wanting to take that into scale, and that really inspired me to pursue food policy and food interventions at a more macro level. Yeah. Well, I started out as a clinical dietitian and then realized that food policy was really at the heart of everything. So I'm so glad that you're at CSPI. And I am curious to know, what was it about dollar store research specifically that piqued your interest? Well, dollar stores are actually the fastest growing food retailer in the country right now. That's both by number of stores and by household food expenditure. So they still make overall small amount of food expenditure, so about 2% from households relative to closer to 60% when we're talking about supermarket and grocery store expenditures. But dollar stores do play a outsized role in food acquisition when it comes to both people with limited incomes as well as people living in rural communities. 
I attended the CSPI webinar on this report specifically, and I was sitting there with my mouth hanging open when I learned about the dollar store growth. I had no idea. And just to put this into perspective for our listeners, you mentioned there are $35,000 stores in the United States, and they're owned by just two corporations. Yes. So um, Dollar General and Dollar Tree, which also owns Family Dollar, as you mentioned, they own more than 35,000 stores across the country. And for those that, like me, have a tough time conceptualizing large numbers, that's actually more stores than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Walmarts combined. So they truly are ubiquitous across the country. They are. And there was a chart that you showed in the webinar where you could see visually this steep incline. Even during COVID-19, when everything seemed to shut down, it didn't seem like that affected their growth at all. If anything, it increased. So while many grocery stores and other food retailers obviously struggled during the pandemic, there has been a consistent increase in dollar store sales, including food sales during that time. So let me understand how the dollar stores are supervised or managed they are not franchises. Is that correct? That's right. It's a really top-down turnkey approach. And so there's really tight corporate control uh, across all dollar store operations. They really are controlling the way that they engage with employees in terms of store operations, in terms of their distribution and their supply chains. Well, I know you dove into the kinds of foods that are available in dollar stores, and we're going to talk about that But I was really interested to see what kind of employee situation they had. Like I looked into the dollar store hourly pay ranges, for example, and it looks like for a cashier, it ranges about $8.25 an hour to maybe about $9.38 per hour for a cashier, up to about $45,000 for a store manager per year. Largely, the employees are not making a living wage, though. Yes. And, you know, that's not something what we dove into or investigated through our primary research in our report. But I have seen in popular media reporting on low employee wages um, amongst dollar store employees. And they do tend to have very limited number of employees. Oftentimes, there's only one person working in the dollar store at a given time. And it's really all part of their business model to keep costs low, which I think is really at the heart of a lot of the corporate action. Exactly. So I see these stores moving into low income areas where they capture a large percentage of the SNAP dollar, which you are very familiar with that program. That's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program serving low income Americans. And they're not really contributing to raising that standard of living. What we do know is, and what I can speak to in terms of the emerging evidence base, which consider this a call to all researchers interested in food retailers and healthy food access, we need more research in this area. But what we do know is that dollar stores are, to your point, more likely to locate in communities with lower incomes. They are more likely to locate in Black and Latin communities. And as I mentioned, they play a larger role in food acquisition for households with lower incomes and those that live in rural areas. What we're not quite sure about yet is exactly what role they play in that competitive food retail landscape and specifically what households are buying from them. So 
We've seen some anecdotal evidence or some case studies of purchases at dollar stores being overall less healthy compared to those purchased at supermarkets. But what we don't know is how that's affecting the overall purchases across all food retailers. We don't know how that's affecting what people are actually consuming. And because of that, we also don't know how those ultimately affect health outcomes. I would say we also don't know how it's affecting the competitive landscape in the food retail environment. So there's been some studies that have shown that dollar stores do not impact maybe supermarkets locating in a given community, but they might be affecting the success of smaller and independent retailers. So again, it might seem like conflicting evidence, but it's because it's all emergent and we really don't have enough research in this space. So at CSPI, we're really excited about the survey that we conducted to start to build out the evidence base, at least when it comes to the consumer perspective. But there's still a lot that we don't know. Well, it's really a fascinating report. And it's the first national study, if I'm understanding correctly, of community member perspectives of dollar stores. Correct. So um, really our goal at the heart of this report was knowing that the growing importance that dollar stores are playing in food acquisition for households across the United States, we wanted to be able to inform federal policy, local and state policy, corporate engagement and research efforts with community voices. So we sought to really find out at the national level, what do people who live near dollar stores, especially among shoppers with limited financial resources, How do they perceive dollar stores? How do they use them? And what do they want from them? And especially, how could they be leveraged to improve healthy food access? Were you surprised by any of the findings? Yes. I would say in terms especially of the perceptions, we went into this project thinking that there were going to be overwhelmingly more negative perceptions of dollar stores than what we found. So we actually found that over 80% of consumers that we surveyed thought that dollar stores were a positive force in their community. And so we were surprised by this, but we also found out nearly just as many people wanted dollar stores to do more to make healthy options available. So it's, I would say this double-edged sword of dollar stores playing an important role in their food acquisition, but also wanting them to step up to do more in terms of store appearance, store cleanliness, and increasing the availability, accessibility, and affordability of healthy foods. So they liked the convenience of the stores, but they recognized that there was a problem in the stores providing the kinds of healthy foods that they wanted. Exactly. So oftentimes what we heard from consumers was that maybe they're not using dollar stores as their primary source of food, still relying on that monthly trip maybe to a supermarket or a superstore, but they really are using dollar stores to supplement those purchases in between. We also heard from some of the qualitative results in our survey and the focus groups that we conducted to inform the survey that you said there was this multifaceted notion of convenience that emerged. People said they didn't want to have to walk a mile in the store to get to their milk, or maybe that they didn't want to have to rely on their friend for, um, you know, just to pick up a missing ingredient for a meal. And so, you know, you're really using the dollar stores to fill in those gaps in between those larger purchases. Right. You know, before we take a deeper dive into the kinds of foods that are sold there, maybe we should talk a little bit about 
the methods of your study. How many people were surveyed? Sure. So um, we surveyed 750 people from across the United States. As I mentioned, it was all people who self-identified as living near a dollar store because we wanted it to represent people where dollar stores were in their community. And because we're really focused on increasing healthy food access amongst people who maybe participate in SNAP or have lower incomes, we also did have an income eligibility selection criteria or recent SNAP participation We were really pleased in terms of, like I said, we had 750 respondents. It had a really nice urban and rural representation as we thought that dollar stores could play different roles across those two different communities. Most of our respondents were at risk for food insecurity, and most of them participated in SNAP at some point within the past year. Okay, let me take one break to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are joined today by Dr. Sarah John. She is Deputy Director at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, and she is the lead author of the report that we're talking about today titled Stretching the Dollar, Community-Informed Opportunities to Improve Healthy Food Access Through Dollar Stores. Okay, probably all of our listeners have seen dollar stores and I have been into a dollar store and I can't remember which brand of the dollar stores that I've visited, but it was a small store filled with ultra processed food, which of course we've been seeing more research lately looking at just how detrimental ultra processed foods are to both our physical and mental health. So Because poor diet is such a big public health concern, I am very concerned about dollar stores moving into already compromised spaces. Yes, they're convenient, but I am concerned that they're contributing to ill health. No, and I think that's a valid concern. You know, um, there's been limited research even on what is offered at the dollar store currently. What we have seen in research is that on average, there are less healthful products available at dollar stores relative to other retailers like supermarkets and superstores and grocery stores. This hasn't been done at the national level. So again, has been done at like the state level or local level. And yeah, it is a concern. I would say that there has been a movement of dollar stores to increase the fresh offerings. So both at Dollar General and Family Dollar, which is owned by Dollar Tree, there has been movement to increase the cold and frozen storage at their stores. And I would say there seems to be, at least from my own experience and shopping at different dollar stores, incredible variation store to store. So you might have one dollar store that has absolutely no fresh produce. um, And you might have others like the DG market concept that Dollar General has that really does look more like it has like its own fresh produce section similar to a grocery store when you walk in the door. They've made commitments like in their ESG priorities, environmental social governance priorities, saying that they're going to expand fresh produce to half of their nearly 20,000 stores by some given date. But of course, that takes a ton of supply chain and infrastructure changes to be able to make that possible. So I think it is a really valid question. Are dollar stores contributing to food swamps by offering mostly unhealthy products? Or are they an important food access point that's striving to bring more healthy foods to a given area? 
they're not necessarily even mutually exclusive questions. So I think that the jury is still out. And I really do hope that CSPI and other research organizations and, and individual researchers can explore this more. Right. And push them to do what's right for the community. I wondered about whether or not the dollar stores would be willing to change what they offer, because that would seem to maybe interfere with their bottom line, right? They would have to have more deliveries if they have fresher food. They wouldn't have the benefit of long shelf life of those ultra processed foods. You know, fresh food requires more staff too, for example. So it's going to be an investment in their part or a cost on their part in order to meet public health demand. You're totally right. And that's the math. And they're going to have to figure out. Ultimately, of course, they're not going to make changes, even if it's a benefit of the community, if it's going to hurt their bottom line and their business model. And so finding, you know, no inverse pun intended, where that sweet spot is in terms of increasing healthy foods at their stores, while still having it make sense for their business model is, it sounds like something they're already currently exploring and will continue to, you know, we made a series of corporate recommendations. One, I think, important thing to understand is that the vast majority of dollar stores do participate in SNAP. They are SNAP authorized retailers. And so I think there's also a lot of different policy opportunities through SNAP, for example, like through strength and stocking standards, where you could push dollar stores to do more through policy because SNAP is such an important component of their business model. And just for context, when I say SNAP stocking standards, that means that all retailers who participate in the SNAP program have to stock a minimum number of foods. Right now, it's really minimal. We're talking three different varieties of food across four different food categories. But if those could be strengthened and better aligned with the dietary guidelines for Americans to require all SNAP authorized retailers, including dollar stores to stock more healthy foods, that could be a really compelling reason for dollar stores to take that extra step to offer more healthy foods. I also wanted to briefly mention, we um, just actually launched a corporate campaign asking Dollar General not to discount families. And that specific ask is asking them to expand WIC authorization at their stores. So that's the Special Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program for Women, Infants, and Children. And that program has much more extensive and health-aligned stocking standards. And so by participating in that program, and to your point, it taps into a multi-billion dollar market of women, infants, and children who deserve access to healthy foods. And that program is currently underutilized in part because many people don't have a nearby retailer who are participating in that program. So we're really asking Dollar General to make that commitment, to take that next step, to increase the stock of healthy foods at more of their stores by participating in WIC, thereby making healthy foods more accessible to WIC participants, moms and kids. But also, you know, it would make healthy foods more available to any person who shops at a WIC authorized dollar store. I think that is a brilliant lever to use to really change the quality of foods that are offered at these stores. That was another moment during the webinar about this report where my jaw dropped. I had no idea that is it few, if any, dollar stores at the moment are authorized to accept WIC. 
That's right. All the 35,000, um, you know, we're still pouring through uh, state level data and waiting on some reports from state WIC agencies, but we have yet to find a single corporate dollar store chain that's currently participating in WIC. Yeah, that is shameful. And I'm glad that you've got a corporate campaign going. And I will provide links so that people can take action to join with CSPI. You know, CSPI, I mentioned this earlier in the introduction, but CSPI has done so much to change policy for the good of our entire nation. So kudos to you for this report and for helping us all join with you to change policies. So speaking of policies, in the webinar there was a woman from Louisiana who spoke about specific cities approach to helping dollar stores make changes and also limiting how many dollar stores could be located within a certain distance. Are there many communities that are taking those kinds of steps? I'm glad you brought this up. Yes. So there are over 50 communities across the United States that have implemented some sort of policy to limit the spread of dollar stores. So this could take the form of a dollar store density ordinance um, or a conditional use ordinance. Many of these often use the framework of saying that a new dollar store can't locate within maybe a mile or two miles of an existing dollar store. And sometimes in a few cases, such as in New Orleans, which really has been a leader in this work, could make maybe some exceptions for dollar stores if, say, like 15% of their shelf space is dedicated to fresh and healthy foods. So trying to stop the spread of dollar stores, but also incentivize their models that might include more healthier options. And so, yeah, this has really been community-inspired efforts across the country, But there have been no policies that really strive to get at the existing $35,000 stores. So while that's important, if a community does feel a strong desire to stop the spread of dollar stores, there are some great model policies out there. CSPI actually has crafted a dollar store model ordinance that includes a menu of policy options that we are under no false pretenses that um, you know communities can use a one-size-fits-all policy to address any of their needs or their dollar store or food retail policy needs. And so it really allows them to sift through different options and see what might be a best fit for their community. But we also urge communities to consider not only addressing the spread of new dollar stores, but addressing the existing 35,000 elephants in the room and realizing that there are policy opportunities such as staple food requirements or ordinances that can also promote healthier foods at those existing dollar stores. And then if those kinds of policies did get enacted, I imagine having an enforcement arm would be difficult. You're right. So there's a lot of emphasis on passing policies, but implementation enforcement is just as critical. And so I will say that more broadly across CSPI's work, we've used, you've talked about some existing successful policies that we've passed, like one model that we point to that started at the local level that has ultimately led to federal policy success is calorie labeling on menus, where we saw um, local policies passed around the country around calorie menu labeling, ultimately trickling up to federal requirements for calorie menu labeling and the Affordable Care Act. And so we really see this as all of our policies 
that start at the local level. They have an opportunity to be scaled up to the federal level, but also just acknowledging too that a critical part of that in the interim, to your point, is implementation and enforcement. And so something that we started to focus on at CSPI, we subgrant to different community-based organizations at the local level to support community-led policies and have done so, started to do so not just for policy passage, but also to support implementation and enforcement. As of course, if a policy is not implemented fully or enforced fully, then it's not going to see that desired impact in terms of community nutrition and health. Right. We just have a few minutes left. So I want to open the floor to you. Is there anything about this report that you would like to make sure our listeners know? I would just really point them to the recommendations at the end of the report. So we have a series of recommendations in terms of federal policy recommendations, local policy recommendations, corporate engagement opportunities, and research recommendations. So I know that listeners out there, different things light their fire when it comes to food policy and food systems work. So we're just really ask them to look through all of them. Please reach out to us if you have any questions or would like to share related work. You mentioned sharing more about our corporate campaign. We would ask that anyone who's interested in supporting this work sign our consumer petition. We also have a sign-on letter that advocates and researchers can sign on behalf of their organizations and really just appreciate any amount of work, effort, whether it's sharing on social, um, whether it's tapping into any of these existing recommendations of just getting the word out and working together to create healthier food access through dollar stores and more broadly through the retail food environment. Sarah, you recently presented this report at the annual meeting of the American Public Health Association. Is that correct? Yes. Were there any golden nuggets that came out of that audience? I would say the biggest takeaway I would highlight from participants was just the high level of interest. And we had so many questions. What can we do in our community? What is the role of local government? What is the role of community-based organizations? What is the role of research? And so it just made me really excited about what each of those groups can do individually and also what could collectively be achieved by collaboration across all of these entities. There's been a lot of focus on the negative of the spread of dollar stores, but I would just highlight that there's also an incredible opportunity in their ubiquity in the fact that only two corporations control all of these stores where if we can make inroads, if we can make progress, if we can increase knowledge, that there's a lot of opportunities that can be achieved at scale to promote public health. Right. And to allow individual stores to work more closely and perhaps design a more community-specific store to meet that region's needs. And I would point to your great point. There is a model of utilizing SNAP-Ed, the SNAP Education Program, in a Louisiana dollar store um, where the community did advocate for having more healthy options, including more healthy marketing, increased healthy food availability. And they've seen great success and can't keep those healthy options in stock because this community lost a grocery store many years ago. And this dollar store is serving as the primary food retailer in that community. And so that's a great model of this public-private partnership to be able to increase healthy food access and hope that could be replicated in other communities. 
Well, we're out of time, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Sarah John. She is Deputy Director at the Center for Science and the Public Interest and lead author of the report we've been talking about titled Stretching the Dollar, Community-Informed Opportunities to Improve Healthy Food Access Through Dollar Stores. I will provide a link to the report as well as other information that can help people join with us to make our national communities much healthier. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much.